I've been bringing a series of messages, a short series of messages, on, uh, and the title of it is Praying for the Church, Praying for Our Church. This is the third of four messages, Why Pray for the Church is the title of the message today. And the text is Ephesians chapter 3. We're going to look at verses 14 through 21. Well, Lifeway Research did a, a poll in 2014. And they found out that people like you and me are kind of picky <clears throat> in how we pray or what we pray for. The poll revealed that typically uh, that when we pray, that 84% of the time we pray for family and friends. That's who we pray for the most. We pray for family and friends. We pray for our own problems 74 of the time. So there you go. 74% of the time we'll pray for our own problems. 74% of the time, 84 we'll pray for family, 82 for family and friends. Now we all know that our world, our nation is in a mess. We're in a mess economically. We're in a, na- a mess morally. We're just in a, we're in a mess. We're getting ready to, to have the bloodiest, nastiest national election <clears throat> that has ever happened in the history of the United States, well, I guess in the history, it could have been bloodier and nastier back before they were doing such good records. So that being said, we know that we need to pray for those in government uh, during this time. You know what percentage of people like us pray for those in government? 12%. 12% pray for those in power. Strangely enough, 36% pray for financial prosperity. 12% pray for those in government. 36% pray for financial prosperity. Uh, Beating those who pray for government is the 21% who pray to win the lottery. Can you think of that? 21% of people pray to win the lottery and 12% of people pray for those in government. Get this, 12% pray for those in government, and 13% pray for their sports team to win. More people are praying for the Gators than for government. More people are praying against the Gators than for government. people pray about really unusual things. In his prayer for the church at Ephesus, Paul tells them why he is praying. And the reasons that he prayed for them are very much the same reasons that I'm asking this church to pray. I'm calling you to pray. Verse 14 of our text, for this reason, he says, here's the reason, I bow my knees before the Father from whom every family in earth and on earth is named, that according to the riches of His glory, He may grant you to be strengthened with power through His Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth, the length, the height, and the depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think according 
to the power at work within us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. I think all of us would agree that the church should pray. I think all of us would agree that praying in the church should be part of who we are. Shouldn't your pastor and staff pray? Shouldn't we pray for the church? Should the deacons and the Sunday school leaders, should the deacons and Sunday school leaders be in prayer? I've asked the leadership of of our uh, deacons, and I've asked the leadership of our Sunday school and our pastoral staff, and the leadership of our school, North Florida Christian, to, <clears throat> to pray and to have cottage or fellowship prayer meetings, at least two during the, the summer, and to lead in those. And so if we have all of those leaders leading in at least two prayer times, we're going to have a lot of people praying this summer for God's will to be done in this church. Shouldn't the people who teach and lead in our school ministry pray? Should you pray? Should you individually pray for the church? Paul shares the reasons that he prayed for the church at Ephesus, and they're good reasons. They're good reasons for us to pray for our own church or for this church that God has raised up here at 3000 North Meridian Road. Here's the first reason we ought to pray. We ought to pray to be strong. This church, we, you, me, we should pray to be strong. What's the definition of a strong church? How can you tell when you're, you found a strong church? How do you know that you have a strong church? Well, that's a little like asking how long a piece of rope is. How long is a piece of rope? Well, it's whatever you measure it to be. There's a measure that will give you how, the length of a, a piece of rope. <clears throat> a rope is as long as it's measured. But how is the strength of a church measured? Well, a church strength is measured by how God measures the church. Writing to the church at Sardis, one of the seven in the book of the Revelation, Jesus tells the church to strengthen that which remains. He says, I want you to be a strong church, and you ought to strengthen what you've got in you. We ought to be a strong church. Now, today's church is different than any church has been in the history of time. Today's church is a consumer church. It's a consumer-oriented church. So much so that the church really has no chance to be stronger unless it's fitting the model for the area in which it's located, or at least that's worldly thinking. It used to be that members of a church family worked to make their church strong. They worked to make their church what it should be, but in today's market-driven Consumer Christianity, that's not the way that it works. Many, and I'll probably say most, people who are churchgoers today look more for a place as to what it can do for them than whether or not it's what God would have it to be. Is it strong in the Lord? Is it strong by the measure of God? And beyond that, many believers do not really care what God says a church should be. They want what they want. I want what I want. And if I can get what I want, everything else will work out because I've got what I want. And so oftentimes, the measure of a church 
Strength is not by the measure of God, by the measure of the word, but by the measure of what somebody wants and whether or not they got it. I went to a great church today. It had exactly what I wanted. This was exactly the way that I would have ordered it up. I'm going to go back to that church because it suits me. And that's wonderful until one Sunday the order doesn't come through the way it had been planned or the way you had hoped. And you think, wow, huh, I used to like it so much here. But I don't really like it that much anymore. That's how restaurants go out of business in Tallahassee. You can't get in a new restaurant when it first opens up. But after a while, they'll say, well, I'm kind of tired. I think I'll find some place else to go and eat. You'd expect restaurants to be consumer-oriented, but do you really expect the consumer mentality in the house of God? Is God supposed to fit His church to suit you? Is God supposed to fit his church to suit me? Is this what Paul prayed for at Ephesus? God, find out what they want and give it to them? Not at all. He prayed for them to be strong, and he defined what that meant, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit and your inner being. He said, that's how I want them to be strong. I want them to have a spirit strength. Now, the size of a church may or may not indicate that a church is strong. You know who is more concerned about the size of a church than anybody else? The preacher normally is. He normally is. <clears throat> the, the preacher is always making excuses for the reason that, that something is not what it should be by way of attendance on a given Sunday or this, that, and the other. I told <clears throat> an old preacher, <clears throat> where did I see him? Oh, I actually saw him here at a, a funeral service. And he said, I, I hear that <clears throat> you, have, um, you have announced your retirement. I said, yes, I have. And he said, well, you know, I retired a few years back. And I said, <clears throat> you know what I'm really looking forward to? He said, what's that? I'm looking forward to going and preaching for somebody somewhere and them apologizing to me for the attendance and me looking at them and saying, I don't care. I'm just glad to preach. <clears throat> I don't care. That bothers you more than it bothers me. I don't care. I preached last Sunday in, uh, at the Emmanuel Baptist Church in Oradia, and I would say there were probably, Tom, 2,000 people there, about 2,000 people. You didn't see the balcony, but it was, it was uh, pretty full, about 2,000 people there. And as we went on the platform, <clears throat> the, um, the uh, pastor, Doru, my friend, he said, uh, we have so many people there. We're opening another uh, facility today and dedicating it, and, and our orchestra is gone, and there's so many people that, and, and all that. And I said, Doru, it'll be good. <clears throat> we'll, have a, we'll have a good church today. We'll have a good strength, uh, uh, service today. How do you measure the strength of a church? Do you measure the strength of the church by the variety of programs that it has? Could I tell you that the size of the church doesn't indicate whether the church is strong or weak, and the number of programs is not an indicator, or the kind of programs they have doesn't indicate whether they're strong or weak. The question of the strength of the church is in its spirit's strength. It is the, it is, 
it's the determining, uh, pre- it's, it's the demonstration of the presence of the Holy Spirit. Now, what are the indicators that the Holy Spirit is in the body of the church? Well, I would think that the Holy Spirit being in the body of the church would be much like the presence of the Holy Spirit as described in the body of a believer. Galatians 5.22 says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. This is what it looks like when a person is filled with the Spirit of God, or at least walking in the Spirit. I'm pretty sure that a church would have some of those same, or maybe all of those same characteristics. What is spiritual strength? The, the, The prayer for the church from Paul was that the church would be strong with a spirit strength, and that's an inner strength. That's where the strength comes from. To be successful at anything in life, there has to be an inner strength. Inner strength is needed to make a marriage a lifetime commitment. Inner strength is needed to be effective in your vocation or the best in your field. And inner strength is really needed in a church. Again, what makes a church strong? There are more than a few churches who depend on a very few in the membership to provide everything for the rest of the church. And as long as those few people are there, they deem themselves to be strong. But that's not a strong church. It may have a lot, but it doesn't have inner strength. You know, Ted Turner has property uh, just outside of town here. Ted Turner's in town quite a bit. Ted Turner could come around and he could say, Hey, look, preacher... I've seen you over at my restaurant a couple of times, and uh, I want to do something for your church. Here's what I'd like to do. I'd like to provide your church family $4 million a year for the next 20 years. How do you think that would impact the church? First of all, I wouldn't retire. No, seriously. How, how does that make a church strong because somebody laid something on it like that? That church may not have inner strength. Churches can be built on <clears throat> what is popular at the time, but that doesn't mean that the church has an inner strength. Everything in church life comes and goes in waves, but the strength of the church is an inner strength. It's inside of the church. It's not what the church looks like. It's not the facilities. It's not the the popularity of it. It's not that it's riding the crest of the wave. That is not the strength of a church. The strength of the church, according to the Apostle Paul, as he prayed for the Galatians, is a spirit strength that's an inner strength. And this is what our church must have. We must have an inner strength that sustains the church. It has to sustain the church through transition and into new leadership and until Jesus comes. I'm not willing to say that the best days of North Florida Baptist Church are behind her. I don't believe that they are. <clears throat> I certainly know they don't have to be. They may well be ahead, but <clears throat> that depends on whether or not we respond to the, our spirit need to have an inner strength. So what is the prayer for the church? To be strong. Here's the second thing. To be rooted and grounded. Verse 17 of our text. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith that you, 
being rooted and grounded in love. Paul now prays for the church to be properly anchored or to be rooted. Now, what anchors a church? We know about the need for inner strength. What anchors the church? What makes a church well-grounded? Well, faith makes a church well-grounded. Faith is the anchor of the church. Now, how do you know that, preacher? Because in Hebrews 11 and verse 6, the Bible says, And without faith it is impossible to please him, for whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. You may not know how easy or how far a church can drift from being a body of faith, but it's very easy. It's very easy for a church to move from its moorings of faith to be set a sea to be something else. It's extremely for a church to be nothing more than a meeting place for friends. It's easy for a church to be nothing more than a meeting place for activities. It's an easy thing for that to happen. Our prayer should be that, uh, and, and must be, that we continue to be a body of faith. We are anchored by our faith in the person and sacrifice of Jesus Christ. You say, well, we'll never drift from that. Well, let me ask you this. Those of you who have lived any length of life, did you ever think our country would be in the position that we're in today? Did you ever think that morally we we would find ourselves having to deal with certain things that that we're dealing with today and, and that are being, there's a cry for them to be made to be what God would have us to, to uh, would have. North Florida Baptist Church, I think, is a strong church. I think it's a church that's grounded on faith. It's not a church that's founded on family. Some churches are, are family churches. Maybe you know a family church. Maybe you attended a family church one time, a church that was kind of perpetuated <clears throat> by the same family. The, you know, the, the white family has lived, uh, has lived in this area, and the white family has kind of been the pillars of that church for so long, and <clears throat> so it's just, that's the church that the, uh, the white family kind of perpetuates. We go to it, but really the, the white family, they're the, they're the backbone of it. Some churches are perpetuated by a program. We made this <clears throat> statement in the, the last message that there are those who think this church is perpetuated by our school, but that is completely false. Let me say something. I love NFC, and I hope you love NFC, but let, let me just say, NFC could die today and the church would go on. NFC could die <clears throat> this summer and the church could go on. But if this church died, the school would be long gone. That's just the truth. This is not really a a trendy church. We're not perpetuated by a fad. Now, that being said, we're not stuck in the mud either, I don't think. We have a, a certain adaptability. I hope that we are grounded in faith. And I hope that you understand that that's the, the important thing. Let, let me say this. I'm not going to decide on your next pastor. You would not believe the number of people who have said to me, have you already chosen your successor? And I said, I don't do that. <clears throat> that's not my job. You say, well, didn't Brother Blair do that when you came here? He kind of did, but the church voted on me. He kind of did. 
but may I also remind you that I fell into the middle of H-E double hockey sticks uh, when I got here too. And part of it was because I think that some of the people felt like that they didn't get to call the pastor. You'll be calling the pastor this year. Pastor Ray, won't you help us, please? Yes, I'm going to help you. I'm going to help the deacons. I plan to do that. But I'm not going to call the next pastor. I don't have a scepter and walk around and say, I crown thee the next pastor of North Florida Baptist Church. That's, that's not, th- this church isn't rooted and grounded in what the preacher thinks. It should be rooted and grounded in faith. Neither the founding pastor nor your current pastor were the kind of men who said, we, we are, uh, we are going to put our, lick our finger and put it to the wind and find out the direction that the church ought to go. We looked to the book and we preached the word. And the reason is because we wanted this church rooted and grounded in faith. <clears throat> and this church must continue to be rooted and grounded in faith. Rooted in faith. And I think I could say this, grounded in love. If we're rooted in faith, we have to be grounded in love. That means that we love God supremely. We love the church devotedly. And we love one another forgivingly. That's what that means. A church that lacks a well-rounded love will come to a halt. and, And will move from its roots of faith. There have not been many times in my life, forgive me for being an example here, but there have not been many times in my life when a lack of love was an issue for me. Um, not, not too many times. I, genuine, I generally love people. I generally love the church. I generally love somebody whether they agree with me or not or like me or not. I generally do. However, I'm not without guilt either. I remember, specifically remember a time, there are some regrets, some milepost regrets that I have. And, and they wouldn't be anything that you would think they are. Not one thing that you would think. Not one thing. You think, I bet he regrets that. And you ask me, no, not that one. You probably don't even know what I regret. I'll tell you one. I remember a time when my response, and, and I, I've been fighting whether or not to use this name. And I'm going to use the name. Frida, forgive me. My response to Joe Mitchell one time in a setting with other people, my response to Joe Mitchell was not loving. Joe Mitchell is with the Lord today. Now, I want to tell you, I loved Joe Mitchell. You had something wrong with you if you didn't love Joe Mitchell. You love. Frida, you love Joe out of self-defense. I mean, you just had to love Joe because Joe's going to make you love him. And I love Joe Mitchell. But there was a time when I responded to him in a way that was not loving. It was not kind. It was just kind of smart-alecky. And I use that term to not use others. But I wasn't kind. And I never will forget the look on Joe's face. And I went, my goodness, what have I done? 
I have been unkind to the nicest guy I know. And there was nothing to do but to apologize to this person with the same degree of publicity as my unloving behavior was. In other words, if I were unkind to him in front of 30 people, which is about what it was, then I made sure that those 30 people knew that I was apologizing to my lovely brother in Christ to whom I had been unkind. You know why? Because the church is grounded in love. we got to love each other. And you know what else? We have to work at loving each other. It doesn't just fall into place. You have to work at it. You have to keep things right. And, and, and I'm going to say something. This is pretty hard preaching right here. If you have ought against your brother or sister in Christ, if you've got something that's not right with a member of the body of Christ, especially those with whom you are sharing worship, listen carefully to me. You are not helping this church be strong in the Lord. You got to fix it. Well, I'm never going to fix that. Well, then you know what? You're part of who we are will never be right. I know that's hard to say amen to, but that's the truth. You've heard it. That is the truth. And, and you don't have to take my word for it either. Look, if Jesus stood here and said it, would that be better? I can't Jesus be Jesus. I'm not Jesus, but I can read you exactly what he said. It's on the screen in red letters. You know what that means, don't you? In red letters, that means these are the words of Jesus. All the Bible is the Word of God, so one part of it is not more than the other. But you need to hear this from the lips of Jesus. If you're offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother, and then come and offer your gift. Well, I don't think the Lord would have said that if he knew my situation. Really? I should have been crucified. I should have suffered and died. Jesus took my guilt. He took my shame. He took my part. And you can't take a little between you and Sister Fluffyhead. You got to get that right. You can't live with that wrong. Or, or your gift to the church, who you are in the church, cannot be used of God. We must pray for the church to be strong and rooted and grounded in faith and love. And we pray for the church to know the love of Christ. Verse 18, that they may have strength to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth. Having every member of the church experience the love of God would revolutionize any body of believers. You know what we should know? We should know the dimensions of God's love. You ever said to your grandchild, I said to, to Emerson yesterday, I said, I love you. I love you too, Pops. I love you to the moon. You know why I told her I loved her to the moon? Because I can't tell her. I don't know any other way to say it. I can say I love you so much it hurts, and that's true, but she wouldn't understand that. 
And so I try to give her and all parents and grandparents, try to give our children and grandchildren some perspective as to how much we really love them. And as a parent or a grandparent, you're always trying to think of a bigger and clearer way to express your love. And Paul said, wanted the Ephesian church to have some grasp, just some grasp, try to get some grasp of the dimensions of God's love, the breadth, the length, the height, and the, and the depth. If you could just somehow or another comprehend the dimensions of God's love, if you could just see it, you don't have to understand it, but if you could just step back and see it, man. Does God love me? And to the extent of God's love. Verse 19, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. How is it described or comprehended? How can we know the love of God? The amazement at the love of God has been the subject of hymns for as long as hymns have been written. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. That's an amazing visual of the love of God. And what about this? And can it be that I should gain an interest in the Savior's blood. Died he for me who caused his pain. For me who him to death pursued. Amazing love. How can it be that thou, my God, shouldst die for me? Try to get a hold of the extent of God's love for you and for this church. And for those people with whom you're having real problems and can't get it fixed. In the early 1900s, this song was written. The love of God is greater far than tongue or pen can ever tell. It goes beyond the highest star and reaches to the lowest hell. The guilty pair bowed down with care. God gave his son to win. The erring child he reconciled and pardoned from his sin. And the chorus says, O love of God, how rich and pure, how measureless and strong, it shall forevermore endure. The saints and angels song. Some years after that song was written, there was a patient in a mental institution who passed away. And as they were cleaning out his room and making room for the next mental patient that would occupy it, they found written on the wall these lines. These lines written on the wall, scratched on the wall by a patient in a mental institution. And they were later added to the hymn. Could we with ink the ocean fill 
And were the skies of parchment made, were every stalk on earth a quill, and every man a scribe by trade, written on the walls of a mental institution, to write the love of God above would drain the ocean dry. And could the scri- nor could the scroll contain the whole, though stretched from sky to sky. Though love of God, how rich and pure, how measureless and strong, it shall forevermore endure the saints' And angels' song. Paul said, I want you to know the measure, the dimensions, the measure, the extent of God's love. He prayed for the church to be strong and to be rooted and grounded in faith and love and to know the love of God. And finally, he prayed that the church might have power. I want you to have power. Be strong. Be rooted and grounded. Know the love of Christ and have power. How do we have power? The power of God in this church. Well, we've talked a lot about it already. But let's go back to the first verse. We have power, first of all, by his riches. That according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. I've often spoke, spoken of the fact that the giving generation of the church, not this church, all churches, the giving generation is dying off. I'm just going to be real with you. There have been a lot of faithful stewards die who are part of this church family. Christian heritage as well. Faith Baptist as well. Fellowship Baptist as well. Thomasville Road Baptist as well. Celebration Baptist as well. Wildwood Presbyterian Church as well. It's dying. The giving generation is dying. As the main body of the population of the church gets younger and younger, giving becomes less and less of a priority. It just does. There's, not that there aren't some who still make it a priority. There are. And thank God for them. But if I could use terms like the percentages, it used to be an 80-20 rule. 20% of the church gave 80% of the money, 20% of the church did 80% of the work and so on. That's going to change. It's going to be more like 10-90. And, and quite honestly, that's what you would expect in consumer Christianity. And that's where consumer Christianity has taken the church. That being said, I want to assure you that the church has power based on his riches, not ours. The greatest churches on the face of the earth are in the poorest regions of the world. We know power in the church by his riches and finally by his power. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think according to the power at work within us. A lot of people say a lot of things to me. I, I, don't, I don't remember enough of what's said to me. People come up and they'll say, do you remember when? 
I try, I try so hard to remember the event that they're describing or what they said. I try so hard. Sometimes I'll say, help me out a little bit, you know, that kind of a thing. Help me out a little bit. I, I don't remember everything. or Maybe I remember just the right thing. I, I don't know. Maybe If I remembered everything, I'd, you know, who knows? I, you might find me sucking my thumb under a bridge somewhere. But Susan Bowman, she's sitting back there. I like Susan. That's, that's a good thing, isn't it, Susan, that we like each other. I assume you like me. Uh, Susan said something to me the other day that, that gave me comfort and encouragement. She probably doesn't know it. She, she knows it now because she's probably remembering. But she said something that gave me encouragement. She told me that after I announced that I'd be retiring next May, that it concerned her at first. And then she said, I thought, God's got this. And she's absolutely right. God's got this. Do you remember what I've said so many times? If you knew me like I know me, you wouldn't listen to me preach. But if we all knew God like we ought to know God, we'd understand God's got this. If God doesn't have it, then we can't go on anyway. We have power by his power and finally for his glory. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. We often say our church, my church, your church, and all of that's understandable. However, this church belongs to Jesus Christ. Oh, for years, for years, the founding pastor, Rayburn Blair, for years, people thought he owned this church. He owned the property. He owned the buildings. He owned everything. For years, they thought he owned it. And then when I came, now that I've been here 24, be 25 years in February, people think, there are people who think I own this church. There are people who think I own North Florida Christian School. And I've said so many times, the proof that I don't own it is that if I did, I will have sold it at the peak. This church is God's church. This isn't Randy Ray's church. This is God's church. And we are his church, and we are here for his honor and his glory. And it is to that extent that we pray God, lead us in the days ahead as you have guided us in the days past. And for your honor and your glory, our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ.